Welcome to The Book Podcast, where we discuss books about the book, the Bible, with your hosts, Scott Moffitt, Gabriel Penfield, and Gary Karwaski. We go as deep as we can go, look as hard as we can look, but we only scratch the surface of the meaning of the book. We only scratch the surface of the meaning of the book. Welcome to the 28th podcast of the book. Our goal is to interview authors of important books that will enrich the lives of all believers. Michael Card is an international singer, songwriter, musician, author, and podcaster from Franklin, Tennessee. He is best known for his contributions to contemporary Christian music, producing numerous top-selling singles and I think around 38 albums. I think I'm dating myself by using that term albums, but can't help it. Michael has also also authored 27 books or thereabout, one of which we will review today. And um, I'd like to share a full biography with you of this gifted man, but uh, I think there's just too much to say. (laughs) So um, I'm just going to leave it at that. But I'd like to uh, share with you that you can get his music or books at amazon.com or at Michael card.com. I'm Scott Moffat. I'm your host, and I'm joined today by my fellow podcasters, retired pastor Gary Karwaski and my grandson Gabriel Penfield, who is a Liberty grad and a current student at Word of Life Bible Institute in Scroon Lake, New York. Michael, we have been appreciative of your music for over 30 years. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. In fact, when I was... Thank you. You're welcome. Um, it's just water to wash your feet with. That's all music is. <laughs> when I was pastoring, you came to my churches three times. I don't know if you remember, you probably not. Once in Defiance, Ohio. I don't know how you could ever forget that name. You, oh came, with a, you came with a full band. It was totally awesome. And twice you came uh, to my church in Lacey, Washington, which was you mm. and another another gentleman. And they were all memorable evenings. So thank you again for that. But today, we look at your recent book, I think it's 2018, when you wrote Inexpressible Hesed and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness. Um, Get that guttural right. Hesed. Yes. (laughs) On that note, none of us. Yes, you have to. Go ahead. Go ahead, Michael. You have to get the chet. Yep. You have to get the chet of the chesed. Yep. Now, just as a note, none of us on the panel are experts in Hebrew. Maybe you are, um, Michael, but none of us are. Gary no. and I were exposed to it in at Dallas Seminary, and as time has waned, we have also had our memory waning. So the first question I'd like to ask mm. you, Michael, is why did you write this book? Well, I think I, I encountered... I encountered this word uh, in uh, in Exodus when God is revealing himself to Moses, and he uses this word twice. Uh, he says that he is full of hesed and that he shows hesed to thousands. And some of the translations say 
thousands of generations, although the word generations is there. Um, and, and when I saw that, here is this word that God uses, uses to define himself. And uh, I had studied Hebrew in school, but uh, I, I don't remember uh, my professor talking about this word. He, he probably did, and I just wasn't listening. <laughs> I remember well in Dallas Seminary when I was in Hebrew classes, and Gary and I talked a little bit about this. They, they mentioned it uh, as a quite important word. Well, let me ask you this. Yes. Uh, when I was growing up, my father managed a paint store in a Jewish area of Chicago. And then later on in my life, mm -hmm. I helped plant a messianic fellowship in Buffalo Grove, Illinois, with Michael Rydelnik. Maybe you know him. Um, and I yes, noticed. Definitely. Yeah. I noticed from my interactions with Jews, especially those that had been um living through World War II in the concentration camps, still had their numbers on their on their arms, that they expressed a lot of wow. dismay, frustration, and pessimism about life and about Judaism. Yes. And I think you yes. can see some of this when you watch maybe Fiddler on the Roof, you get sort of a, a glimpse of it. Mm -hmm. And so most Jews today, when you go to Israel, are in fact atheists and not practicing. So what I was going to ask was, based on right. this, I think, I think most Jews have a pessimism towards God, towards the Bible. And I see in your songs and in your writing that you lead towards laments. And you, you did a book on Hosea yes. and you attended a black fellowship. Has this contributed maybe to a pessimistic view of God and the spiritual life in your own life? You might want to say obey. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think anyone who's a follower of Jesus has a pessimistic view of God. Okay. But uh, I, I do think there's there's a there's a what I would call a realistic view of God, and that is, um, I mean, I, I I look at the life of Jesus, and and at, at the point in his life when he's most he's most being used by God, he's lamenting, mm -hmm. and I think that's something that Judaism sort of gets that American Christianity doesn't get. And that is that sometimes the, um, the most precious thing we have to offer to God is the thing that hurts us the most. And we see it in the, in the laments of David and Ethan um, in, uh, in the Psalms. Numerically, the biggest category of the Psalter uh, are laments. Mm -hmm. And that, that's where people like Dave, David is saying, when I needed you the most, that's when you were the farthest from helping me. And uh, I was raised in a church, in Southern Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where we were taught to leave those feelings at the door. Hmm. And it was a it was a big deal for me to see in the Psalter that uh, no David takes those feelings and he offers those up as an act of worship. I mean, hmm. again, at the moment when Jesus is most being used by God, when he's hanging on the cross, he says, "Why have you forsaken me?" He's lament. He's quoting laments from the Psalter right. uh, as he's hanging on the cross. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's a pessimistic view of God. I would say that that's a, that's an understanding of God that's based on this idea that I can offer up to him my anger and my confusion as an act of worship. And that he is, uh, he's a much bigger God than I was, I was, uh, um, I was raised with. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And he's, and he's understanding too. 
He understands where yes. we're at, even though he's so far above us. He understands our doubts and frustrations and yes. all that. But oh, um, you may as well be honest to God because he knows it anyway. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, I got a quick question here, or sort of a quick question. Um, you talked about in the Old Testament, right? Looking back at this, the word hus. Wait, let me get the guttural. Hased. 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 Think it out there. Um, you talk about how many different times it was used. Quite a few times. Um, 169 different English words yes. are used. 245 uses of the word in the 27 books. The, 27 of the books of the Old Testament. Um, but overall mm-hmm. view, looking at context, looking at grammar, looking at all that. Um, can you elaborate from your studies? Like, what generally does it mean? Like, is there a word it comes down to? Like, generally, what are some like overarching themes that you see? Well, uh, in 1535, Miles Coverdale created, made up the word loving kindness. Mm. That was uh, his attempt. But I I don't think it can be translated one way. Like you said, it's translated in six different English translations. This one word is translated 169 (laughs) different ways. Mm -hmm. Covenant faithfulness, you know, loyalty, uh, grace, mercy. Um, there's usually some adjective in front of it. If you see, if you see a, 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 a word that, that, uh, has an adjective covenant loyalty, loving kindness, that sort of thing, uh, you know, you're probably dealing with Hesed because it is, it's just, I, w- I won't say it's untranslatable, but it, I don't think there is a word in the Hebrew language or in any language that has as large a range, a range of meaning as this word hesed. I mean, Hasidic Judaism, mm-hmm. that's hesed. Sure. Those are Jewish people who, who, who uh, uh, trust that God is a God of hesed. And my translation is a, is a sentence. My translation of the word is hesed is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. See, I stand before the, the cross of Jesus. And I think that's the ultimate expression of hesed. Mm. And I, I have no right to expect anything from Jesus. I nailed him there. But what do I get? Do I get a second chance? No, I get more chances than you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's that's getting at what the meaning of Hesed is. God is essentially this God who loves us so much. He would rather die without us than live without us. And he, he continually reaches out to us. Uh, when Jesus says that God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, he says that in Luke. Um, I think that's Jesus' definition of hesed. God is kind, because that's one of the words that we use to translate hesed, kindness. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Mm. Uh, that's who God is. That's the God who reveals himself to Moses as a God who's full of hesed and a God who shows hesed to thousands. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout your book, you uh, continually um, observe or point out that the word hesed seems to attract other words to it uh, that yes. helps to more fully explain that. It's like it's like a, a gravitational pull. It pulls various words to it. Could you talk a little yes. bit more about that? Yeah, I think in the book I refer to it as linguistic gravity. Uh, it pulls word words to itself like um um hen uh and like um I'm trying to think of I think there's seven words that 
Hesed attracts to itself. And 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 I think that has to do with the fact that it 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 has such an, an amazing range of meaning that that uh, writers have to use other words with Hesed to try to express all that it means. So it means favor, it means kindness, it means loyalty, it's it's connected to the covenant. Um and but but I think an important distinction is um uh, God makes covenants with us because he's a God of Hesed. We, we break them and he, we keep breaking them and he keeps keeping them. Mm. And um, I think that's, that's sort of, uh, that's a really important understanding of, uh, of the covenantal. There's a covenant piece of Hesed. And, uh, and part of that covenant is that God is faithful. He loves us more than he, that, he, that so much that he would rather die than live without us, and because he's a God of Hesed, even though we break the covenants, he keeps the covenants. He keeps yeah. keeping the covenant. The Arrow Bach, which I'm sure you're familiar with, defines Hesed as wrapping up in itself all the positive attitudes of God or attributes of God, I should say, love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, mm-hmm. grace, kindness, loyalty, and in short, acts of devotion and loving yep. kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. What I was wondering about is yep. how does Hesed relate to unbelievers? Well, I, w- I would think um, it, it's one of the most powerful um, witness witnesses to unbelievers in, in terms of the nature of God. Um, he, uh, you know, again, I think it's Luke six. Jesus says, "Jesus says he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked." Uh, I don't think anybody was expecting that from God. I think, um, I think the big surprise of the of the New Testament is that when 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 God comes to us, He comes to us in the form of a, of a slave. Jesus washes feet. He dies the death of a slave on the cross. Nobody was looking for that. I think the big surprise of the Hebrew Bible is that God is kind. Yeah, we know he, we know He's Almighty. We know He can speak the universe in existence. Okay, that's part of being God. But that He's kind, I don't think anybody saw that coming. And I think in 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 terms of a witness to unbelievers, I think there's something that resonates in 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 uh, there's something that resonates in people when they hear this aspect of god um almighty yeah i get that mm-hmm. but god of you know of holiness i can't touch the bottom of a mountain that he's on the top of he's so holy okay mm-hmm. i get that he, that's god i get that he speaks the universe into existence i get that but that he's kind i don't think anybody saw that coming yeah. no i'd say especially in the old testament jews uh <laughs> have a, a, a kind of a negative idea uh, about God thinking they they look at him as the being the Old Testament judge angry yes. God who's the judge yes. and so kindness coming out um I guess I view it from a New Testament perspective even though it's not what you had in your book but I've kind of view it as like the New Testament agape hmm. uh more yeah. than yes more than mercy, so it's and it's the same kind of a thing, and it's and it's all over the New Testament. I I think I counted almost two hundred and fifty times uh, agape in the New Testament. And by the way, 
Michael, I counted how many times you use the word Hesed in your book. Uh-huh. <laughs> Over 600 <laughs> times. Wow. I tell you. It's, it's, it, it's almost like I think I understand what it means. But I can tell you, I still don't understand what it means. It's just, it is it is so it is so huge but i do think it is i don't think there's any other word like it uh and, and again god uses this word to describe himself to moses uh it's the word that god uses to describe himself mm. and um you're, you're talking about exodus 34 right yes yeah, yeah yeah and that's kind of your controlling central text on this idea of what hesed means can you discuss that with a little it, bit for our listeners? Well, it's it's where our understanding begins. It's where it's where we uh, God begins revealing Himself, and of course, He consistently reveals Himself all through the Hebrew Bible as a God of loving kindness. Um, he, um, but 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 then in in the in the in the new in the New Testament, Jesus is is the incarnation of this. The cross is the act of hesed god is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked god forgives us he uh he um he 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 gives his only son for us as a sacrifice Mm -hmm. um when the person from whom i have a right to expect nothing gives me everything god has given me everything in christ and so yeah he's a god of hesed he's the god who who um who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked and guess what that's me i'm the i'm the All ungrateful and the wicked and he's yeah and he demonstrates this incredible kindness to me and and um it's just an exciting idea it's an exciting idea mm. yeah before we kind of i guess we've jumped into a little bit of the meaning of the word but um kind of looking at context as you said in exodus right you have that one control aspect and then also another great place I see it. And um, at least here at Word of Life, we've talked about is in the book of Ruth, right? And we haven't, I guess in our questions, we don't have a whole lot of talking on it, but can you explain where we see that word in Ruth and like who it refers to and how we see that in play? Um, Do you mind talking on that? Well, you know, I don't have my notes with me, so no, I am, I am uh, not qualified uh, okay. I could make up. I could make up something, yeah. but uh, yeah. yeah. No, no, <laughs> what I'm, sure, why not? What, I, what I'm thinking preachers. of is that passage and passage in Hosea six, where God says, mm. uh, where Hosea says, oh, you know, what is um, God wants us to to do justice, to love Hesed, to mm. do to do to do justice, to and to love Hesed. Yeah. Um, what does God require of the old man? That, but to do justice and to mm-hmm. love Hesed and to and to yeah, love he's this. Shown you. Yes, yeah. What has He shown you? Yeah, right. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't. No. I can't follow up. Yeah, with the no. That's exactly that gives us some good context of it. But it's like the New Testament principle of love others because God loved us, right? And it's that idea yes. of because God showed us Hesed, we can show others that as well. Right. You, def- you define it as when the person whom I have a right to expect nothing of gives me everything. Mm-hmm. How does that differ from the concept of grace in the New Testament? Now, this is Gary and I have discussed this. Grace is normally getting what I don't deserve. 
where mercy is getting from God. I mean, grace is getting what I don't deserve, but getting mercy is getting what I do deserve from the almighty. Mm-hmm. So well, do, I, do, are those different sides of the same coin? I think all, all of those things, grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, kindness. I think these all those ideas are subsumed. If I can use that sure. word. They're all subsumed into the word hesed. And, and that's why hesed is such an exciting idea. It embraces all of those ideas. Uh, um, yeah, mercy, kindness, loyalty, faithfulness. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, and it's and it's the word that God uses to define Himself. It, it to me is just it's 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 stunning. This idea that God again, He loves me so much, He'd rather die than live without me. He shows his kindness to the ungrateful and the wicked. He um, he extends mercy. He extends grace, and all of those are, I think, are all kind of in the the or all in the world of Hesed. Hesed draws all of those ideas to itself. That's why it's such a big idea. Mm-hmm. If you're not a Hebrew scholar, you're just a regular guy in the church. Yes, regular tender. How are they supposed to grasp this fullness, this full-orbed meaning of Hesed, if they don't have the ability to go into look into the original language or use this this word studies that are available for that? Or is it just something that's rich and can make us um, more understanding of who God is and not everyone's going to get that? How do you view that, Michael? Oh, I th- I think you get you get that in the person of Jesus. I think Jesus incarnates Hesed. Right. right. Um, I I I think that that's really that's the point. Um, he again his, his definition of Hesed is that God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. But then what you see in his life is this incredible uh, loving loving kindness. He's 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 calling people like Matthew, come on, to be uh, to, to serve alongside of him. People like Peter who are, who are questioning him and doubting him. Um, he, but don't he you think is, most Christians have a dis, distorted view of Christ? Yes. They look at him. They look at him as sort of uh, okay. He's going to fix my broken life, or yes. he's going to make me happy. And so, I, do you think? Christians even have a desire to go into this understanding of the full orb Christ is. Uh, what are your, what's your well, opinion? I, I, I think this this is well. I just think this is an aspect of Jesus that makes him so believable and so beautiful. And mm-hmm. and and it, it's 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 the it's it's part of it's the biggest part of his character that draws me to him. Um, you know, he, he, and G, he says he and the father are one. So if, if God is a God of Hesed, then Jesus has definitely, uh, the, the incarnation of this fundamental characteristic of God that is again, so surprising. We, we just don't understand how this God of, of, uh, this awesome God, this El Shaddai who, who speaks the universe into existence who is glorious and holy beyond anything we can imagine is at the same time 
kind. Mm. And, and I think you see that in Jesus. Jesus has this wonderful kindness. It's, it's, um, uh, the, the, uh, it's amazing openness. And you see it, I think, in the Gospels and how people are drawn to him. Uh, I don't know if, you, if, if there's anyone in your, in your life who sort of incarnates this kind of kindness. I have a couple of friends who are, are kind in this way. And, and you just you, you sense yourself being drawn to them. Uh, they're, they're on your side, right or wrong. I mean, I think that's what Jesus says to us. Jesus comes to me. He says, Mike, uh, I'm on your side. He says, Mike, you're wrong. Okay, you're wrong. But I'm on your side. Right or wrong, I'm on your side. Even when you're wrong, I'm on your side. And I think that's part of Hesed. Uh, Jesus Jesus, um, comes alongside the ungrateful and the wicked, and he shows us his kindness, and he gives his life. For us, he dies this horrific death for us. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think he's expressing, he is expressing what God was revealing to Moses in Exodus 34. He's kind. He shows his kindness to thousands. Mm-hmm. He's full of kindness. Uh, he's full of kindness, mercy, grace, and all the 169 words that you might use to translate, uh, translate Hesed. Yeah, he was, Jesus was kind to people that uh, other people weren't kind to. Uh, yes. The woman uh, caught in adultery. Yes. You know, let him who his, you know, his doesn't sin cast the first stone kind yeah. of a thing. And, and what does Frederick Buechner say about, about that? He, he said, Jesus would not condemn her because he would be condemned for her. Yeah, there you go. And, and that that is the essence of who he is. He doesn't, you know, he goes, he says, I can judge. God has given me the authority. My father has given me the, the authority to judge. But I don't judge anyone. I haven't come to judge the world. I've come to save the world. Right, right. That's who he is. And if you don't get this, you don't get Jesus. Hmm. I get it. The Shema in uh, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through mm-hmm. 9, teaches that the Israelites are to listen to the voice of God and his word. Yes. You share the, the, the frustration of people who don't do that. And those who use the etymological fallacy of doing word studies that are not really, I think this is what you're saying. They're not really listening to the voice of God mm-hmm. and how he's talking to them. And yet Jesus said, let him who has ears hear and let him hear. Is this, Bigger than just reading the word of God, or is is there more? Well, I think when Jesus says that, I think that uh, let me I would paraphrase when he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Mm-hmm. He says that in front of or at the end of a lot of parables. And I think that's Jesus' way of saying, if you don't engage with this, you're not going to get it. Because what you'll notice is that it, with one exception, he never explains the parables. He explains the seed parables in private to the disciples because they need to understand this. The seed is the word and the soil is this and the rocky ground is this. He explains that parable to the disciples privately. Otherwise, he he doesn't explain the parables. And that's part of the power that they have. And, and, and if let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's his way of saying, if you don't engage you're not going to get this, and I'm not going to explain it to you. It's 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 just the power of 
you know, enter into this this uh, imaginative uh, story parable and engage. He's in, he's he's inviting us. In one sense, I guess he's insisting that we engage. If you don't engage, you're not going to get it. And uh, I think that's the power that parables have. One of the, it's not the only power, power that parables have, but one of the powers that it has is they are, they are based on engagement. We engage with our informed imagination or we simply don't get it. And I think that's, uh, I think that's what he had in mind. Yeah, I think that's true of a lot of people in the church, maybe the majority. Yeah. They're not engaging. No. Yep. Yeah. With with a redeemed imagination, see, gee, he redeems us, and he and part of I mean, he redeems our our whole life, but part of what he redeems is our imagination, and then he speaks these parables to our imaginations, and um, you you you've got to engage. Jesus doesn't simply didactically teach the way a lot of us teach. Here's point A, point B, point C. Write this down. It's going to be on the test. That's not how Jesus teaches. What? Jesus teaches, yeah, no, that's not, he doesn't teach like we teach. No, he, 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 he teaches. Don't bother going to Dallas Seminary then, okay? No, 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 I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But fundamentally, he teaches in a way that that demands that that's the power of his parable and the power of his teaching. And if you don't engage, you're not going to get it. And if you look at the Gospels, there were clearly a lot of people who didn't get it. Who didn't engage, mostly the Pharisees. Right. Yeah. You you uh you stated, saw in your book, you stated um that kind of like the idea of Jesus, right? You said Paul wasn't the systematic theologian, maybe some make him no. out to be, right? Can you elaborate on that for us? Still there? Yeah. Yeah. He so, just did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. So I guess a lot of people think that Romans is like this big chapter by chapter magna opus of Paul, right? Which it is. But what are your thoughts on that? Why isn't Paul maybe the more systematic theologians we think he is? Well, I don't think you systematize your understanding of God. It doesn't, it's not, it's not uh, reduce uh, reducible to mm-hmm. a system. And whenever you see people doing systematic theology, Whatever you start with, in order for it to be logically consistent, um, it, it all has to sort of agree, and and that's not. I don't think that's how it works because fundamentally, uh, it's a mystery, mm. and it's and it's not it's not. Uh, you can't systematize it with definitions. We think if okay. we if we can put a word to something and define it that that we understand it. And fundamentally, uh, redemption and and salvation are incredible mysteries. That God loves us. That God loves us that much, and that He would give us His only Son. Uh, that I I can't reduce that to a system. And so I think one of the things that happens when when we when we do sort of deceive ourselves into thinking that we've oh I've made a system out of it. Uh, I mean I love biblical theology. I'll go with that. But systematic theology, I just don't think that's doable. Mm. I wanted to ask you about that's doable. I want to ask you about lexicons. Uh, In my experience, lexicons can be really misleading. 
mm-hmm. uh, because the writers of lexicons all exist in their own context and they import and impose their own theological meanings on right. words. Right. And, uh, you gave an example of that with Coverdale making up a new English word for Hesed. Um, yeah, that's kind of true of every word that's has to give yeah. give a new meaning in a new language. Uh, right. Linguistics is a subjective process all of its own. So yeah. how how do we come to a clear and I know you don't like this word, but literal understanding of the Bible? Well, I, I think fundamentally we we don't understand how words work. And and w- w- the first time I read this, honestly, I, I mean, I'm, I I I thought this is this is heresy, but <laughs> words don't have literal meaning. Words derive their meaning from context. That's right, right. Okay, so if I say to you, if I say to you, what does the word key, K E Y, what does the word key mean? Well, you mm-hmm. don't know until I tell you the context. Is it the thing you open the door with? Is it the key idea? You know, that words derive their meaning from context. And that's, I mean, that's going to bring us back to Hesed because Hesed is used in all these different contexts. And uh, that's where I think the, 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 the breadth of its meaning come from is all the different contexts it's used, used in. But I remember the first time some, someone told me that words don't have literal meaning. They derive their meaning from context. I go, that's heresy. Mm-hmm. no. You know, words have to mean, you know, it means one thing, but that's not how, that is not how language works. Right. Uh, words derive their meaning from context. Did you ever read Trina's? Um, I have, a, um, uh, you know, I have, I have grandchildren who are, you know, I'm watching them learning language mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm obs- I observe the fact that it's all about context. You know, as they're they, they say that that when you learn learn language, you know, when you're I don't know a year two years old, you will never use more of your brain. You can get multiple PhDs later in life, but you will never use more of your brain than you use when you are acquiring language. And I see my uh, my grandchildren under trying to understand words in different contexts, and um, I don't know something clicks when they realize that. Um, but yeah, uh, and so and so Hesed. Let's get back to Hesed. Okay. Hesed appears in all these different contexts: mm-hmm. uh, a sacrificial context, sacramental context, mm-hmm. um, de- you know, uh, de- de- defining context where God is defining Himself, and 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 um, lament in the context of lament, in the context of a relationship. All these different contexts. The word hesed appears, and 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 it it derives its meaning from the breadth of contexts that appear that it appears in. If that means anything, it, I don't know. Maybe that is, doesn't mean anything. Isn't that problematic though? Because if you can never define, absolutely, if you can never define something exhaustively, the inability to define that word somehow limits its function within a literal language. So you're trying to convey well, thoughts, but if you don't know what that thought is or that word means, I understand context helps, but sometimes you don't have enough context to define the word. Well, uh, when when I first studied um, a language, it was with uh, methodical uh, 
you remember Gary, the name by train on methodical Bible study. I think oh, it was. He, yeah, yeah, he yeah. used the example trunk. Have you ever heard, you know, is it a trunk of a car? Is it the trunk of a tree? Is it the trunk of a man? Right. You know, context has there to tell you. Yes. But if it's, there it is. if there's not yes. enough context. Um, gentlemen, I, I'm going to have to make my way out. Okay, Gary. He's not. So I, I, I have to bug out early. Um, I'm not feeling well. And this is about as much as Sorry. I can deal with it. Uh, so I got to go lay down. Hassett is making him sick. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm enjoying this very much, but I, I've, I've, I've reached my limit today. So yeah, thanks. Yes. Go lie down. Good to see you guys. Go lie down. Yep. Feel better. Feel better. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. <laughs> yep. Jesus did. Well, I, I I just saw it. I've got I I bought a an old translation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the guy's name? I think it's Smith. Is his name? And I was reading, and is it Second Samuel when the the Philistines have the tabernacle? And and clearly this guy, he thinks words mean one thing. Okay, mm-hmm. there's like one literal meaning that a word has. Right. And you remember when God God commands them to put mice like golden mice and then golden tumors and no one knows mm-hmm. how to translate this word tumor right this guy translated the word hemorrhoid so god tells the hemorrhoid tells the philistines place gold these i don't forget what the number is five golden hemorrhoids back in the back in the ark and give it back to the israelites i'm thinking dude that is not what that word means. <laughs> Listen to the context, right? right? If tumor, right. I don't know. I don't know what it means, but it doesn't mean hemorrhoid. I can tell you that. Right. But, it, it, I, you know, you, you see in some of these translations, and Smith, I think, is, is one of the, you know, words mean one thing, and this is how the translation works. That is not how language works. Right. So you're dragging a literal understanding of it that you have into the text and, and making it fit everywhere. You're making the word fit. Yeah, and that, that and that's that, why. Yeah. What you think that words mean one thing, and words don't mean one thing. Words right. are right. Um, they change again. Hesed. It's it's sometimes it's covenant. It's sometimes it's loyalty. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's love. Sometimes it's mercy. Sometimes it's uh, it's uh, faithfulness. It has this enormous range of meaning, and I think Hesed is has the has the widest range of meaning of any word in any language, and that's why I think it's 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 special. But come again, you know, you come back to I mean the word love. You know, I I love, you know, I love chocolate cake, and I love my wife. Do those words mean the same right. thing? No, they don't mean the same thing. You know, I love cake. That means, you know, I have this sort of momentary buzz when I when I eat a, you know, when I stuff a huge piece of chocolate cake in my mouth. But when I say I love my wife, that I'm giving my life to her and that I want right. to be faithful. It's faithfulness and and well, God and loved loyalty. Jacob and hated all those Esau, things, right? God loved Jacob and hated Esau. That's not really what most people think of it. It's preferred mm-hmm. over one over the other. Yeah. Well, um, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Love there. I mean, look at the huge, how many different ways can you translate love there? Mm-hmm. God, you know, cared for the world. He he was, uh, he demonstrated his kindness to the world. 
he demonstrated his, in one sense, his um, long suffering. Uh, you know, uh, la language is not this. It is not language is a is a mystery. The way word la the way language works is a mystery. I make these sounds with my teeth, my teeth and my tongue. You know, I I, I go into a movie and I say, um, you know, I shout fire, and everyone panics and runs out. Or I I, I stand in front of a, a firing firing squad and I say fire, mm -hmm. and something else happens. Somebody dies. Right. Um, you know, it's just. It's it's a it's a mystery the way these sounds that we make work. Mm -hmm. I I can say things, I can say words. If I get the right combination of words, I can say something that would you would burst into tears. I can say certain things that would change the course of your life. You know, make you make you uh, you I know do. reassess your life and recommit your life. I you do. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Hmm. yeah yep i do and, and i think i think we have i think our culture has cheapened language and um and to think that words only mean one thing is to fundamentally un misunderstand what language is all about yeah it's a mystery it's a mystery yeah and it shows the depth of scripture too like we can yes. study it for our whole life and mm -hmm. we still only scratching the surface absolutely amen young man you are you are absolutely right yeah. so um is this is this kind of love i guess in the word does it include unconditionality like is it unconditional or is that not really included in the definition like god's love for israel unconditional is that included in Hesed? or like what are your thoughts yes. on that okay. yeah yeah i do i think i think the way he loves israel that is Hesed. Okay. um again in in uh god makes covenants with israel right they keep breaking them he keeps yeah. keeping them yep he keeps keeping them why because he's a god of hesed does does do covenants come from hesed no uh um god god makes covenants because he's a god of hesed mm -hmm. uh but hesed's don't come from covenants yeah so we that makes you... sense we usually attribute love to something positive and good, mm -hmm. but loyal love, as you um, translate it sometimes mm -hmm. in certain passages of scripture, would that include God keeping his word to bring something negative upon yeah. Israel? Yeah. So it's more yes. well-orbed than just yes. what we understand love or something good happening. Right. It doesn't just mean one thing. Mm -hmm. God, you know, God, God's love, uh, in one sense has consequences mm -hmm. and, and, and rejecting God's love has consequences. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's, that's, that's something that people don't understand about how, how God basically set up the world. I mean, the, one of the, I, I just saw a thing on YouTube where somebody said, why did God create sin? I thought, what a, what an asinine question mm -hmm. that the, God gave us freedom because he loves us so much. Right, he gives us freedom to 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 choose him, to say yes to him, or to say no to him. Because otherwise, it's not real love. He doesn't predetermine who's going to love him and who's not going to love him. That's not love. Um, and again, 
there, there's this fundamental mystery to language that I think we, we don't appreciate the way we should. And one of the best words to sort of delve into this mystery of language is the word hesed, is the word hesed, kindness, covenant loyalty, loving kindness, uh, grace, mercy. Um, I, the, the first page of the book that I wrote uh, on Hesed has uh, all 169 uh, right. um, uh, words that are used to translate it. Hmm. You discuss the character of God in chapter two, saying that Hesed is the highest character of God, but it's modified by other words, eight words, I think um, you said. Would these modifiers be akin to the fruit of the spirit that the believer is to express and um, show Christ through their own life? Would they would they be compatible and similar? I mean, some of them are just kindness, never, you know. Yeah, I, never I've thought never thought, thought of it. that, but uh, no, that, that's a very cool idea. I, I mean, I need to think about that, but I... I yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. What What is the connection between Hesed and the fruit of, fruits of the Spirit? Mm -hmm. um, if If Hesed is something that defines God, kindness, loving, uh, loving, uh, uh, love, mercy, gentleness, all those things, those do sound like the fruit of the Spirit to me. Sure. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, if 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 that's God's defining characteristic, then the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Right, that that's all connected it's got to be connected and it's a reflection of christ in us living yes. his life out through us yes yeah and so you know and and jesus will say things um like um you know if if you don't show mercy the mercy won't be shown to you there's this connection between the way you respond to god's hesed and and um I don't want to say God's response to you. I, 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 there, there's a connection between how how you live Hesed out in obedience and faith, and um, and how you understand God's God's Hesed. I, I, I have to show mercy in the same sense that I've been shown mercy. Right. That's what I think. That's what I'm trying. I have to show love and kindness because I've been shown love and kindness. Um, it, it defines my posture, my posture to to uh, to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. My favorite. Yeah, I think we talk about loyal loyal love and everything. Like, I think my favorite is I think NASB does it, but like steadfast love, like going yes. back to like the unconditionality. Like, just it's steadfast no matter what we can do, especially as believers. Like is the idea of eternal yeah. security where God's got us. Nothing can snatch yes. us from his grip. Yeah. Yeah. If, He's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Mm -hmm. That's yes. that's Jesus' definition. He's, you know, um, yeah, no one can take you out of my, no one can pluck you out of my hand. Mm -hmm. Um, that's how that's how he loves us. And 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 as the way I was raised, you know, there was this sort of solemn warning against. Well, don't don't you know take that for granted. Don't let that be an occasion for you to take God for granted and live any way you want to. No, I think Jesus Jesus teaching is once you are impacted and you realize how much God loves you, 
Mm. How can you not respond in the same way? You've been shown mercy. How can you not show mercy? You know, Jesus, it's almost like Jesus is saying, how could, you know, how can you not get this? Once you've been um, gifted with an understanding of who God is and, and, um, uh, and you become this recipient of his loving kindness, his steadfast mercy, whatever, you know, however you want to translate has it. How can you not respond in kind? And I think the implication of Jesus' teaching is if you don't, that's sort of an indication that you don't get it. Mm. If you don't respond in kind, you kind of don't get it. Yeah. You quote Brueggemann, I think is how you say his name. Yeah. And it says, rage belongs in yeah. our prayer life. Or yeah. Yeah. Did you agree with that? And if you did, how does how is that rage expressed or displayed in the life of the believer? Well, Walter Brueggemann is is uh, one of my favorite writers. He's a he's a he's an Old Testament professor. Uh, I think he's still alive. Um, he was at Columbia University, and a wonderful writer and a person who really engages with his imagination. And and one one of the things that that um, was new for me because again I grew up Southern Baptist. You know, if you have uh, if you're struggling with God, if you're angry with God, if you're frustrated with God, you leave that at the church door. Don't bring that in here, right? Um, and then I, re- I, I read people like Walter Brueggemann, who, who looks at the Psalms of David, David and Job. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of fist shaking yeah. in Job. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and in your anger, don't sin. It, it's not a sin to be angry. But in your, but but it it can become an occasion for sin. I mean, Jesus is perfect, and he clearly becomes angry. He tears the temple up twice. Um, but um, and so Brueggemann is the person that taught me that these feelings that I thought were not appropriate, frustration, uh, anger with God. You know, the Psalms say, "When I needed you the most, that's when you were the farthest from helping me." Show up. I, you know, I really, where are you? And there, I think there's an element of anger in that. You know, why have you forsaken me? I think there's a certain amount of, at least, you know, some angst in there, is, if, if not anger. So God and appreciates our honesty with him about how we really feel? I think because God is a God of tested, we can lift up our, our confusion, certainly, and our, um, our struggles. And even even our anger with him, we can lift those up as an act of worship. We can say to God, because you're God of Hesed, I'm going to give you everything. Here's my confusion. Mm. I don't understand why you forsake. It seems like you've forsaken me. Why don't you show up? You know, why my sister lost two, two, two babies in 18 months. She had, she had two infants that were born full term and died in 18 months. Mm. Now you you know you know, what are you going to say to God? What does my sister say to God at that point? My sister who is, you know, was a Christian who loves Jesus. And yet two of her infants have died. My, my two best friends died within about three months of each other. Uh, this was years ago. And there was part of me that said, God, why did you let that happen? How could you let that happen? You know, why does my best friend have cancer? 
why does this, you know, why does this, why that, why, you know, and clearly we, we don't understand what God is doing. We, we have to trust and believe that he, he's working in everything, especially the bad stuff, because that's mostly all he has to work with is the bad stuff. I mean, that's all, <laughs> that's all we've got is bad stuff. Um, but, but, but I do think there, that we've got to understand that there's this mystery, and this brings us back to Hesed. There's this mystery of God's loving kindness that's at work in everything. And so God looks at me and he says, okay, Mike, you're frustrated, you're angry. Give that to me as an act of worship. Worship is a celebration of the worth of God. And God is worthy. And God is even worthy for me to to share my frustration and even my anger. And um, that's evident in the Psalms. In, uh, in the imprecatory psalm, you know, uh, what is it? Um, blessed is, what is it? Blessed the man who, who's, who bathes his feet in the blood of his enemies. Mm. What is that? You know, that, you know, come on. <laughs> Doesn't sound sanitary. Yeah, dude, lighten <laughs> up. But there's this, there's this um, fierce, you know, emotion, to, to say the least, there's a, there's fierce emotion. And, um, and again, my, 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 my final point is at the moment when God is most using Jesus, what is he doing? He is lamenting. Why have you forsaken me? See, he, Jesus is quoting lament Psalm, Psalm 13, Psalm 22. And, um, and I can't tell you guys the, the impact that had on me about 10 years ago when I realized that I can offer up my confusion as an act of worship. God wants me to give him to offer up these things. Sometimes the thing that hurts you the most is the most precious thing you have to offer God. That is a huge idea. Yeah. Yeah. Two things, two things that always stood out to me. And now I can incorporate after reading your book, after this podcast, when I went through tough times, it was God is sovereign. God is good, right? If God's yes. in control of everything and he's also good, but now I can incorporate it. God is sovereign and God is hesed. God yes. is kind, right? loving kindness, steadfast kindness, right? It's those two aspects yeah. where if God's in control of everything and he loves us, like what do we have to worry about? Now it's tough to accept that, but now I can incorporate that. So <laughs> thank you. You gave a great illustration about meeting a black woman yeah. named Dinah and you being a white man. Um, this, uh, this happened a number of years ago and context in which we live has changed. We've gone through BLM, defund the police, white fragility. And so there's, there's, there's this new environment in which we live in, in two, 2023, which is, I think, more risky would you have the same reaction today that you had then? And let me give you this example. My my family is from Scotland and we were killed and we were starved by the English. Should we be defining ourselves as Christian by those old views of where our culture came from? Or should we be putting those prejudices behind and experiencing the Hesed that you speak of in this text? Yeah, I think you just answered your own question. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, every Jesus makes everything new, right? I mean, my people were Welsh, 
am I going to hold on to the what the English did? Because the English, you know, mess with us too. Right. right? Mm-hmm. They, they mess basically mess, mess with, with everybody. everybody. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's not that's not who I am. And my African American friends, you know, will tell you, no, this the the persecution and the suffering, the generations and generations. That's that doesn't define me. Jesus defines me. Good. Jesus tells me who I am. And who does Jesus tell me? Who does he tell me I am? He mm-hmm. says, I'm, 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 I'm the beloved of the father. I'm the person he loves more. He loves, he loves me so much. He'd rather die than live without me. That's who mm-hmm. I am. Jesus, mm-hmm. Jesus looks at the cross and he looks at me and he says, okay, you're worth it. I'll go. I'll do it. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what else matters besides that? Nothing else Nothing. matters besides no. that. That's right. Amen. Yeah. Gabe, dude, how are we doing on time? Uh, doing pretty well. Um, I guess how much time you want to go? I can ask another question. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Um, yeah, going back, we talked about Paul and Romans and all that. Um, but the book said that Romans is to be understood in like a court of like a courtroom scene in which all the men are shown to be sinners in need of a savior. Um, and the answer is provided in the personal application at, um, in the later part of the book. But here's here's the key. You say that Romans is a book that with um, is a book about problems in the church and the personal lives of believers. Um, I guess this conflicts yes. with most commentaries. I've seen like the wrath of God in commentaries as the main purpose and point of Romans. But can you explain the difference between mm-hmm. those two views and why you take that view? Well, my understanding of Paul and and his letters comes to came to me from my mentor, who was William Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Lane was a, a, a commentary writer. He wrote a New International Commentary to Mark, which John Stott says was the finest commentary in the English language, which is pretty mm. pretty cool. Yeah, and he also wrote the two volume commentary uh, word biblical series to the uh, Book of Hebrews. But Bill's whole uh, approach to Paul, again, was not that Paul was doing systematic theology, but Paul is doing, he's, he's dealing with problems in the church. Each mm-hmm. one of those churches in Philippi or Thessalonica or Rome or whatever, Paul is dealing with issues and problems in those churches. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's sort of an applied, it's theology, but it's applied theology. It's not systematic. It's not meant to be systematized yep. because they're different, different problems. And so um, I think when he when he's writing to, to the to the believers in Rome, he's um, I mean, he, he's dealing with perse- the looming persecution that's about to break out Christian uh, with the, the Christian community in Rome. And he's he's preparing them for what's what's about to happen. Um, I think that's what most of his letters. Um, I think I think that's a, 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 a I won't say that's the major theme, but that's a. a, a a major theme in most of his letters is helping them become ready for what they're about to experience because persecution is breaking out. And especially in Romans, uh, the fire uh, in uh, Nero, you know, Nero sets that mm-hmm. fire mm-hmm. and he, he blames the, he blames the Christians for the, for the fire. Yeah. Uh, he, he was trying to clear out an area around the circus Maximus to build this golden right. palace. And, um, and uh, when uh, when uh, I think ten of the fourteen districts of Rome burned to the ground, and and they they blame the Christians because everyone hates the Christians anyway. So let's blame them. 
And uh, the book of Romans is basically written to, to uh, believers in Rome that are experiencing that persecution. And I think what one of the things that Paul wants to do, uh, and you see this in um, the Gospel of Mark, which is also written to Christians who are experiencing persecution. Mm-hmm. Paul wants you to understand you're not going to you're not going to experience any kind of suffering or persecution that Jesus hasn't already experienced. Yeah. And um, I I think if if I were a, a I mean I'm an American Christian I I've, I've lived this cushy no persecution life. I mean every now and then people will, will roll their eyes at me because I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. That's about the extent of the persecution that I experienced. Right. But the, the the believers in Rome and the believers that uh, Mark was writing his gospel to were, uh, were um, you know, they were being crucified. They were being set on. They were, Nero at one point crucifies a bunch of Christians and then he sets them on fire uh, mm-hmm. in, in the, the, the guards of Messinus to give light to a, a, a party that he was giving. I mean, that's the world that these Christians are living in. Yeah. I can't even wrap my mind around that. But 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 Paul and Mark both want you to know you're not going to experience anything that Jesus had experienced. Have you been rejected by your family because you're a Christian? Well, guess what? Jesus' family thought he was out of his mind. That's Mark three. Um, yeah, there's there's no there's no experience of suffering or or rejection that you're going to experience that. Jesus hasn't experienced. That's why he's our faithful high priest. He suffered in every way, just the way we've suffered. I think that's what Romans is about. Yeah. And do you think that maybe like improves? No. But do you think that maybe makes it more relatable to us, his hesed or his hesed? Because like Old Testament, they hadn't seen Jesus, the Messiah yet. But New Testament, where we are now, we see his hesed in full full form (laughs) on Jesus on the cross. Undeniable, undeniable, right? You know, God loves you so much; He would rather die than live without you. That's what the cross says to us, and that's that's Hesed. That's the God of Hesed. You can't. I show my Hesed to thousands. You can't forget the tomb, though. You know, yes, He died on the cross, but He rose again, conquering sin, death, and the grave to give us joy, a joyful and abundant life. Yes, that's just amazing. I had, a, yeah. I had sort of a technical question that I wanted to ask you, and I don't take this negatively, but okay. um, you uh, you had a mentor, William Lane, as you talked about a little bit earlier, who's a biblical scholar. He contributed. I have a couple of his um, uh, books here in my library, but he was a contributor to both the NIV and the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. And in your appendix, you compare biblical translations. You have the NIV in there, and you have some other translations as well. But what I thought was most interesting was you had the American Standard Version, which is from 1901, and it was the precursor of the NASB, which has three or four newer versions of it. I think 60, 77, 95, and 2020. I was wondering why you chose to leave the NASB out, but you included the the message, which is not a translation. It's a paraphrase so why did you make those reasons well reasonings and choices well the, question, know, I, isn't I it? was <laughs> no it is a good question 
uh, and I was uh, Peterson was a friend was a good friend of mine. Right. And I I at one point when I was working through the message, I realized because I said, yeah, this is a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. But then at some point I thought. This is almost not a paraphrase because he would translate something. Uh, Eugene Peterson read the read the Bible in Hebrew and Greek his entire adult life. So he was he was a very gifted linguist and mm-hmm. a person who, would, who understood scripture. And there would be a passage that he would translate a certain a certain way. And I would call him. I would say, there's no way you can't say this, right? You can't translate this this way. And he would show me some linguistic reason why, you know, in, in one in one sense, this word can mean this. And and um and I, I won't deny that the message is a paraphrase, but in some sense, it's almost not a paraphrase. It's a very it's a very free translation. Um, so um, I, I think my appreciation for his heart as a pastor and for his, you know, his having given his whole life mm-hmm. to translating scripture. I think that's why, you know, I, I included that. And, and he um, I wrote another book that he wrote a, a forward to for me. And um, I, I had a real appreciation for the fact that Dr. Peterson was a person who um, wrestled. He, he was he was he never pretended to be an authority on anything. He was always wrestling with the text and engaging with the text. And I think uh, William Lane, the guy that discipled me, was the same. I was I was holding his hand when he died. I was with Bill when he died. And the last year of his life. He was still struggling with understanding things. He didn't pretend to be an authority. He never, he never, um, he had a PhD from Harvard. He spoke 16 languages. He was this incredible scholar. And not once did I ever hear him play that card, the scholar Mm -hmm. card. He was always the person who was still trying, struggling to understand what this means and and trying to engage with the imagination, and Peter Peterson, I found was the same was the same way. So you had and, personal, um, you had personal relationships with yeah. both these men, which trumped yeah. other decisions. Yeah, gotcha. and 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 I mean, how many different translations are there? I, holy cow, <laughs> twenty seven, I mean, thirty five. I, I don't know, something like that. I, I I worked on. I was on the team that did the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. And what that basically meant is that for two years, I got paid to read the Bible, which is a mm. kind of a pretty cool scam on my part. Um, <laughs> but um, that gave me a real appreciation for 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 the, the, the role of a translator. We had 17 translators on the CSB team and there was a meeting. I didn't I, I wasn't in town for this meeting. I missed this meeting, but they did. They had a meeting where they got together and they were talking about just what God had called them to do and the role of the translator. And a number of them started weeping. Mm. And uh, CSB is a, it's a Southern Baptist uh, publishing, but they were, they were mostly Lutherans. Most of the guys on the team were Lutherans and uh, amazing scholars, but, but the kind of scholarship that I'm attracted to, and that is the scholar as a person who struggles and and engages with the word, and not as a person who who pretends to be some sort of authority. Yeah. Uh, I've got no I've got no time for that. I had one final question. Scholars are servants. Scholars are meant to wash the feet 
of the church. That's what they do. I mean, musician, I'm a musician. Right. My call is to wash the feet of the brothers and the sisters. That's what my music right. does. Yep. And anyone, anyone who does anything else, I'm sorry. I, I don't have any time for you. <laughs> and we're good we're servants. Yep. We're, we're slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. We're not CEOs, which no. is so problematic in the church today, that, yeah. that thinking. Yeah. On, he emptied himself. And, and how that's can what we, we're called to do as servants how can of Christ we, and as leaders. How can we do any less? Right. right. How can we do any less? I think that's a major problem within the church. On page 125, the last paragraph, and we could read it, but I'm not going to. You describe Hesed as the defining characteristic of God. How does this impact? And I almost felt like I was reading your understanding of the gospel message for today. Could you maybe be descriptive, define it, give us some clue as to what, how you understand the gospel message that we're sharing with people today? Well, you know, you hear it from pulpits all the time, and it's, I'm not sure I agree with a lot of it. Well, I mean, and I mean, honestly, in one sense, to say this is the defining characteristic is kind of a ludicrous thing to say if we're talking about God. Right. The, you know, the mystery of this, in you know, in infinite, infinite being. Yes. Right. But but all I mean, all we have is words. That's all we have is language. And so we, we use these words to tr- try to describe him. And again, you know, my I think the most powerful uh, argument is this is the word he uses to describe himself. God, I mean, Jesus reduces himself. I mean, he humbles himself, but he reduces himself. In, in terms of incarnation and being the word, and he reduces himself to language. Um, and so we, we throw words at who God is, and, and why, not, why not use the word that God used to define himself and struggle with what, struggle with what it means? I'm going to say, I mean, I have a tattooed here. I have a tattooed on my arm. There's right. Hesed right there. I think about it every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I've been married for 40 some odd years. I think about it in the context of marriage. I don't think marriage can happen without Hesed. Um, uh, I have four children. I have five grandchildren. I have, you know, friends that I'm close to. And, and if, if, if Hesed isn't lived out in the context of marriage and friendship and church and community, uh, I don't understand. That's how I understand it. I forgive people who don't ask me for forgiveness. Um, that's what Jesus does. Je- you know, I I can be forgiven because I precisely because I've already been forgiven. I have to accept the forgiveness that Jesus has already extended to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and like you said, we we're called to live that out. I'm supposed to live that out. Uh, I've been shown mercy. And so I, I, re, I show mercy. That's, that's how Jesus understands it. And if, you, and if you don't respond in kind, you don't get it. Jesus would say, you just don't get it. And, uh, and, and all, all that is, is why hesed is such an important word. It's fundamentally a word, a sound that we make with our teeth and our tongue that describes who God is merciful, kind, loving, um, patient, um, again, uh, sacrificially loving. He loved us so much 
he, he would rather die than live without us. That's who God is. And all of that is sort of under this umbrella, I think, of Hesed. Yep. And that's it. We never have to talk about it again. We've covered it completely. <laughs> and we're no. yeah. We have exhausted this. Uh, we have defined who God is. Yeah. Yep. Well, way yeah. to go, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other questions, Gabriel? No. Um, I guess yeah. last question would be um, for you. We we love having you on the podcast. I love your Thank music. You. Um, love you. having you on your information um for you do you have any more books coming out music coming out channels that our listeners can go to where can our listeners go to know more about you and what okay you well I, I have a podcast called in the studio mm-hmm. um i'm not gonna be I'm, I'm retiring this year this is my last year uh mm-hmm. I'm, I'm working on uh, i've been working on this book for three years i'm working on a book on all the details of the life of Jesus and mm-hmm. what they mean. What languages, how many languages does he speak? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know that Jesus spends three months out of every year walking back and forth to Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. He goes to the three pilgrimage feasts. That takes him about 10 days, 10 mm-hmm. days down, 10 days there and 10 days back. He does that three, at least three times a year. Right. Um, wow. What, you know, uh, unless what, he stays in Jerusalem without his parents. Yeah, 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 right. And gets, gets in trouble for that. Why have you treated us like this? Uh, and you, we already know that John the Baptist is is a relative somehow. But did you know that uh, John, the writer of the Gospel of John, is a cousin of Jesus? Did you know that? His mother is Salome. His mother is right. John's mother, Salome, and she's Mary's sister. So, so what I'm doing, I've been working on all the details of the life of Jesus and what they mean. What does it mean that Jesus? is from Galilee. What is the Galilean Jewish, what is Galilean Jewishness? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and these are all things that you already know from the gospel. That's, that's what's interesting to me. We already know that Jesus is looked upon as a rebel just because he's from Galilee. In fact, there are some translators who are starting to say now that the, the word Galileoi, we should translate as rebel. It doesn't really mean that you're from Galilee. It means you're a rebel. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the rebellion start in Galilee. Yeah. So Jesus is, the, the Messiah is from the wrong place. He should have been from Judea. He should have been from Galilee. That doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, um, anyway, that, that's what I'm working on now. It's all the yeah. details of his life, his heart, his mind, uh, uh, the people in his world, yep. the, place, uh, the places in his world. Why does he move to Capernaum? All those details. So that's what I'm working on. And that'll be the last book. And then I'll be done. Hmm. Don't spoil too much. Got to go to the book to learn all that stuff. Yeah. 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 And also, and also for your music. Thank you. As I've seen on any podcast or on any Spotify, I use YouTube music, but like iTunes, I've seen it all there. So if you guys want to go listen to that, some good stuff. Um, I think I love Scandal on love that song. And um, um, hold on, Gabe. Hold on. You know Go. the name of our podcast, Michael? No. It's called The Book. Guess what we use as our introduction? Dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad I'm glad you're using that music. It's I'm wonderful. It's, yeah. it's one of my very favorites by the you. The pages of the book are turned with trembling awe. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. So we want to thank you for putting up with us and Thank answering you. all our questions. And, well, I, I don't think I answered them, but I threw <laughs> words, I threw words at them. So, yeah, we hope we can come back and sometime talk to you once again. And yeah. uh, we just appreciate you. Let's have a word of prayer as we close together. Thank you. 
Father, we thank you so much for Hesed and how it has changed our lives. Help us, Father, to appreciate you more and more each day as we see the fullness of your character and how much you love us and care for us and, and really want us to be uh, like your son. I pray for Michael that you would bless his life, help him, Lord, to remain faithful to you and to finish well. Mm. We pray, Lord, that he would love his wife, love his children, and that uh, these days ahead in which he puts another book together would go well and he would feel accomplished at uh, what he has done in his life through your power and um, your love. Now we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank, thanks, Gabe. Thanks, Scott. God bless you guys. All right. You have a great night. Thank you. Thank you so much. See, See you ya. next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the book podcast if you liked what you heard and want to support us like follow subscribe on any podcasting platform on youtube on facebook instagram or twitter simply type in at hear the book pod at hear the book pod thank you see you next time